you. And uh, it's just a real joy and a real pleasure to share with you what I've been studying and preparing for this week. And at the end of the day, what I'm going to do this morning is encourage you to read your Bibles or listen to the Word of God, because when we read our Bibles or when we listen to the Word of God, uh, the Word of God breathes into us and we live. And so read it and live is kind of the title of this morning's message. And I trust it's a real encouragement to all of us. At the start of the new year last week, we spoke about prayer and Lord teaches to pray. And, and uh, today we're looking at the Word of God, kind of these two uh, classical Christian disciplines of learning to place ourselves before God in a spirit and a posture of prayer and in a spirit and a posture of learning from His Word that we might, in fact, grow and become the people that He's made us to be. I do encourage you to come next Sunday if you're on the fence. Uh, really excited uh, to share with you what the whole year will look like from a teaching perspective here at Erina, and uh, it's going to be great. So I encourage you to come along next Sunday. Uh, but this morning, yeah, really looking forward to spending a little bit of time in the Scriptures, particularly looking at this passage of Scripture that the Apostle Paul wrote um, to his apprentice, Timothy. And the first point that I suppose I want to start with is that Christians believe that Scripture is God-breathed, that it is inspired by God, that yes, it is an ancient historical text, but it is a living text. Uh, Just as God in creation spoke and creation came into being, so too God's Word brings and breathes life. Another wonderful example of God breathing life is in Ezekiel 37, where Ezekiel the prophet speaks and prophesies over these dry bones and they start to come to life. The very words of God bring life. And so Christians believe that the word of God is is breathed by God that it is not a dead word, that it is a living word. It has the power not only to inform us about who God is, that he loves us, that he's designed us for relationship with him, that he has a perfect plan to rescue and redeem us from sin and restore us into right relationship to himself, Uh, but that these wonderful words actually transform us into the people that God made us to be. Scripture is God. This is a great conviction that Paul obviously writes to uh, when he's writing to Timothy, that all Scripture, all Scripture is is God-breathed, is inspired by God. And so we need to start with this understanding, with this conviction that the Bible is indeed the Word of God, that when we hear from the Scriptures, we are hearing from God, that the Scriptures are living. Um, This week I was encouraged... Ray came into my office. He wanted to borrow a book from the library on the Psalms. Now, for those who don't know, Ray is 80, and he's continuing to read God's Word. Now, I'm 38, and I've been in a pattern of reading the Bible since I was about 13, and I expect, I hope, that I'll continue to be reading the Bible uh, when I'm 80 and beyond. The Bible isn't a book like other books that we kind of just read and then put it on the shelf and say, well, I've read that. For the believer, the Bible is in fact a book that you read your whole life because it is a living word. And God continues to reveal new and fresh revelations about himself and into our circumstances as we journey through life. 
It's so important that we have a conviction and an understanding that the Word of God is the Word of God, that God breathed these words, and that as we have the privilege in 2019, whether we're 38 or 80 or going into year three, the Word of God speaks because these are the very living words of God. Do you want to hear from God? Open his word and he will speak. The Bible says in Psalm 119, 105, that your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. I fear there are so many Christians stumbling about in the dark because they've left their Bible on the bookshelf. When I go running in winter, I have to have a torch. And that torch shows me the path so that I don't trip over. As Christians, we are, God has designed his word to be portable. We kind of take it with us. It is our guide. It is our lamp. And a lamp, again, is not something that you only need for a short period of time. You need it with you constantly so that you might see what is the way to go. In life, we are constantly faced with multiple decisions, aren't we? And we need God's word to lead and to guide us. A steady diet of God's word will lead and guide our paths. Jesus answered, it is written. This is when Jesus was tempted in the desert with the evil one. And when he was tempted um, to turn these breads into stone, Jesus refuted or rebuked Satan with these words, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I I find this really helpful, just this conversation we're going to have now around food. Because nobody here argues about the necessity of needing to eat food. Our physical bodies are designed in such a way that we need to constantly feed them if they are to survive and indeed thrive. And it's no different from a spiritual perspective. We need to ensure that there is a steady, consistent diet of spiritual food feeding our spirits that enable us to live. Now, we would understand, no one would argue that when we eat healthily, when we eat good foods and we put good fuel into our body, it has an amazing effect on the way that we feel and it has an amazing effect on our health. And the same is true spiritually. We can choose to put very little into our spirit by the way of God's word and we will experience the outcome or the results of that. Feelings of dryness, feelings of not hearing from God, perhaps uncertainty, I'm not sure what God would have me do in this particular situation. And we start to take our cues from, from other places other than God himself. A steady diet makes a huge difference. And so I don't need to convince you of the necessity to eat physically. And as spiritual people, there's a necessity for us also to ensure that we feed ourselves 
spiritually. And just like as an, when you become an adult, like when you're a child, mum and dad will feed you. But as you grow up and become an adult, it's actually your responsibility to feed yourself, is it not? And I'm sure all of us here fetched our own breakfast uh, fixed our own breakfast for ourselves this morning. Uh, it's the same with God's Word. As we grow and mature in faith, it actually becomes our responsibility, not the pastor or the growth group leader, although it's wonderful to have others inputting into us spiritually. Ultimately, we, can, we need to take responsibility for our own spiritual health and vitality. My golf has a pretty big sticker on the, uh, the fuel cap that says 98. And so when I go to the servo, I know that I need to put the 98 fuel in my car for it to function well and, and at its maximum potential. It's as if when a person becomes a believer, they, there's a sticker, there needs to be a sticker that says, you know, the Word of God. <laughs> and we need to just keep filling ourselves up with the Word of God. If we don't put fuel in our cars, after a while, they just won't go. If we put poor fuel in our cars, we're going to end up with all kinds of problems. We need the full octane, 98% Word of God in our lives. We need the Word of God. We need the Word of God. And the Word of God is so accessible and so available to us that there is no reason why we can't feed ourselves. And I love that idea of feeding on the Word of God. And I'm going to use that language intentionally rather than reading because today there are so many wonderful audible opportunities for us to hear God's Word. And some of us would really struggle. Some of us may struggle to read. But we live in a day and age where with modern technology we can we can feed on the Word of God. And that's the whole idea. Again, that language of feeding. Every time we physically feed our mouths, it's an opportunity for us to be reminded of, how am I feeding my spirit? How am I feeding my soul? So I want to take a moment just to explain, well, what, what is the Bible? Well, obviously it is the Word of God, but practically speaking, the Bible is 66 different books divided into two sections. It has over 40 different authors, a, a range of different genres from history to poetry to law to prophecy to narrative, um, biography, there's the letters, there's a range of different genres within the scriptures and it's important for us to obviously read those in context and understand what the author was intending to do with that particular genre. But it's, an, it's a remarkably rich book or library of books, really, one would argue. Um, it, it was written over a time span of 1,500 years, and it was written in three different languages, the Old Testament in Hebrew and part Aramaic, and the New Testament in Greek. But all of these books, or this library, a collection of books put together over a period of 1,500 years have one unifying message about God's plan for humanity, His purpose for humanity. The Old Testament contains 39 of those 66 books from Genesis to Malachi, and it was written between 1500 BC and 400 BC. And the Old Testament is primarily concerned with the story of Israel. Uh, and that, it, uh, that is told through the law, the prophets, and the writings. And through the story of Israel, God is working to bring order and beauty through the chaos. It's, it's almost the creation story on a, a macro scale. God intends something for good, 
And then, unfortunately, because of the fall and sin, it becomes marred. And God, when he called Abraham in verse, chapter 12 of Genesis, he had a wonderful plan that God's people would be a light to the nations. Unfortunately, they just keep getting that wrong. But, that, but God continues to bring order and beauty out of chaos. And ultimately, the Old Testament points to a, a, a messianic leader, someone who will come and who will, in a sense, rewrite the story of Israel. And we understand that to be the person of Jesus. So in the New Testament, we have 27 books from Matthew to Revelation. It was written over a much shorter period of time, about 50 years. And the New Testament is primarily concerned with the birth, life, death and resurrection of Jesus, the beginning of the Christian church, and then instructions on how to live as a follower of Jesus. Now, I'm sure up to this point, nothing I've told you is new. And in fact, there may not be anything new that I will tell you this morning. And I'm not here to tell you anything new. I just want to really encourage you to read God's Word, to feed on God's Word. What is the purpose? What is the purpose of the Bible? One of the overarching purposes of the Bible is to communicate to humanity that God not only is real, but that God is present. God is, in fact, for the people he created. God is for the world. God is present with the world. And the Bible not only tells us how God is present, but, in fact, it shows us how he is present with his people. And there are so many wonderful stories that we can enter into in the scriptures and see how God was present with his people. And the purpose of those stories is to encourage and remind us as his people that he is with us. That just as he was with Joseph in the pit, so too he will be with you when you find yourself in a pit. This week, Bron and I have really enjoyed watching Escape to the country. Uh, it's just been a beautiful show, a, a much more peaceful show to go to bed with than some of the kind of the murder mysteries that we have um, previously enjoyed watching as well. And um, whilst we're probably never going to get to escape to the Cotswolds, um, when you read the scriptures, there's actually an invitation for us to escape to a different world, a different reality. We, we need to do that. We need to recognize that when we come to the scriptures, we are coming indeed to an ancient text. Um, and we, we need to understand that, in a sense, we have to enter into a different world. It may not be as dreamy as the English countryside. But if we're to actually really grow and learn through the scriptures, we have to learn to enter into the story and not just simply read these stories as stories, but actually see them as opportunities to enter into the story. You know, when you watch Escape to the Country, you, you enter into that world and it might be a, a dream. It might be something that's never going to become a reality, but for that one hour... It's wonderful <laughs> as you think about what this would be like to live this kind of idyllic countryside life. When we enter into the scriptures, it's not always going to be idyllic, but it is going to grow our faith. So here's a couple of examples of how we enter into the story. When we're reading the story of Abraham journeying up Mount Moriah to sacrifice his son Isaac, 
it's all good and well for us to know that detail about the story. But if we're to read the Bible for transformation, then what's going to happen is the Holy Spirit might convict us about a sacrifice that he is calling us to make. Wow, if Abraham was such a man of faith that he was prepared to make this sacrifice for God, I wonder what are the sacrifices that God might be calling me to make all of a sudden the word is living it is active it is doing its work we read about the israelites wandering in the desert we can simply read about a group of people wandering around in the desert or we can think about and the spirit might lead us to think about those wilderness periods in our lives we may even find ourselves in a wilderness period and from that story from entering into that story we see that god is the god who provides bread manna from heaven and quail that God in fact did have a plan and was taking them somewhere that God can be trusted Um, we can enter into the story for example when Mary experiences this angelic encounter when the angel comes and tells Mary that she's with child and Mary is understandably as a young teenage girl um, you know full of all kinds of emotions I'm sure but ultimately her response is one of obedience And so when we find ourselves faced with a fearful or a frightful or an overwhelming situation, we enter into the story of Scripture and we see that people can choose to obey and we can see how God works that out for their good. Or Peter stepping out of the boat might invoke within us the opportunity or the, the challenge to step outside of our comfort zone and take a risk when we, when we come to the Scriptures, we need to learn to enter into the world of the Scriptures and allow God's Spirit to do His work through us. The Bible establishes and helps us grow in our relationship with God. Let's take a closer look at these three verses from 2 Timothy. 15 to 17 and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in christ jesus all scripture is god breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of god may be thoroughly equipped for every good work the first thing we see here is that the scriptures make people wise for salvation you see we're not saved by the bible we're of course saved by jesus he is the only one who can save but as romans 10:17 says is that we need to hear about jesus and we hear about him through the scriptures that is how we come to salvation salvation through christ and we need to hear we need to experience the word of god so the scriptures make us wise for salvation. That's in fact how faith can be established, is through God revealing himself. But then I mentioned the last slide, that the scriptures are also not only for establishing our salvation and our relationship with God, but they're also for growing our relationship with God. As Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 2, therefore my dear friends, As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. What we glean from this particular text, that salvation is not just a ticket to heaven, one-off transaction. 
It is an ongoing process of inner transformation where God is making us more and more into the people that he made and created us to be. Yes, God will redeem us when we put our faith and trust in Christ. But I love the saying that says we've been saved for good, not good works. We're not saved by our good works. And we need the scriptures to reveal to us and to grow within us the character of Christ that will result in those good works that God has planned for us. Ephesians 2, before the beginning of creation. Through the scriptures, God forms and shapes us into the people that he made us to be. So the first thing that we can understand is that the scriptures help us become wise for salvation and continue in the salvation process. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching. Well, obviously, the scriptures first and foremost teach us who God is, what he has done, who we are in Christ, our mandate and our destiny. That's so important. But also, the Bible is full of instructions on how to live. Spiritual instructions, like, for example, last Sunday, we learned Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. You know, there are instructions there about what it means to tithe, to bring God the first fruits that Jesus is a person or a leader who took the towel, that spiritually speaking, those who are followers of Jesus are servants. But there's also practical teaching on, you know, how to be a good spouse and how to respond to those who hurt you. Uh, The Bible not only makes us wise for salvation, but in fact, the Bible is full of wisdom, godly wisdom that we need for living. Obviously, none of us are ever going to become truly wise. Only God is wise. But we can grow in our wisdom as we grow in our understanding and practice of God's ways. The Bible is full of godly wisdom. And the more we um, submit to the Word of God and feed on the Word of God, hopefully the more wise we will become. The important thing is that only learners can be taught. And so when we, when we open the scriptures, it's so important that we take the posture of a year three student and say, I'm here to learn. Or a year seven student, I'm putting on my backpack, I've got my books, I want to be taught. <laughs> we need to be learners when we come to the scripture, to have that posture, to say, Lord, I'm here and I'm willing and ready to learn. We can only be taught if we're willing to learn. The Bible is useful for teaching but only when its students are willing to learn. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for rebuking. This is probably, this word has more of a negative sense. And we, we, we all understand this from time to time. Um, as we read the Scriptures, uh, we will be informed that there's something that we're perhaps doing or that we're not doing that is displeasing to God and it's outside of His will. And if we're open to the work of the Holy Spirit, we will sense a rebuke. Or that rebuke may come from a loving brother or sister in Christ. Or that, that rebuke may come as God's word is opened publicly and we hear it read and we go, ah, yeah, that's the, I, I know that there's something that's not adding up. Um, and as we open the word of God, we, we become um, confronted with the standard or God's measuring rod, if you like. And it highlights lovingly the inconsistencies in our life. And again, if we are allowing the Holy Spirit to do his work of gentle and loving conviction, we will know uh, where there are inconsistencies in our lives and we seek God's help to forgive us but also to redirect our paths 
um, so that we may learn to become more consistent with our words and indeed our actions. The Spirit brings conviction. So for example, if you're open to the Spirit of the Lord as you're reading His Word, you might be reading the Sermon on the Mount. And as we spoke about last week, you might actually look at the Lord's Prayer that He taught His disciples to pray and experience a sense of conviction like I did that, hang on, when it comes to prayer, I need to pray the priorities of the kingdom. I need to pray that God's kingdom and God's priorities, God's kingdom and God's, and God's priorities are that the lost would be saved. So I came under conviction that so many of my prayers are focused on my personal situation rather than being more con- committed to praying for those who have yet come into the kingdom of God. So that's how the, the spirit of conviction will work. Or, for example, you might read the story of of Martha and Mary and realize that you're such a doing person for God, but you've spent very little time in his presence, just learning from him and being present, uh, just enjoying him. So these are examples of how we might experience that godly rebuke as we open ourselves to his word. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for correcting. Now, this is actually much more of a positive word, and the word itself in Greek kind of means reforming or improvement. And, and, and this makes me think of home improvements or renovations. This week, I was at Aaron and Pam's house one evening, and they're doing a lot of renovations in their house, and their kitchen, for example, is almost finished, and it looks amazing, and I'd seen the kitchen what it was before the renovation, and I've seen it now, and I know that they've been through this arduous process of getting from A to B, and any of us who have, many of us over the years, I'm sure, have experienced home renovations, and it's, it's awful to live through. It's very unsettling, it's very disruptive, and we don't like it. But the outcome at the end is totally worth it, isn't it? It's just that process of getting there. And so this is what the Scriptures do for us. As the Scriptures correct us, as the Scriptures improve us, it can be unsettling. It can be unsettling as we have to unlearn behaviours or habits that are ungodly, as we have to say no to certain temptations that perhaps once upon a time we, we, we said yes to. But these things are for our Good And in fact, when we get to the other side, when we get to the new kitchen, we'll just see why it is so much better and why God designed it this way for us to live. So we will grow in the fruit of the Spirit. You know, the Bible says, cast all your anxiety on Him. But so many of us still worry all the time. We need that correction, don't we? We need that improvement. See, a life where you can live and not worry all the time, that's an improvement, right? Absolutely. So you see how God's Word improves our lives with godly wisdom, but we have to submit to that process, and it takes time. It takes practice, and that's why Timothy says, good for training in righteousness as well, because Training is hard. You've got to commit to training. You've got to turn up time and time again. It doesn't just happen. If anyone wants to become an accomplished musician or an elite athlete or learn any kind of skill or trade, it's going to require training. And training is hard. But training is good because the outcome of training is growth and improvement and freedom. Listen to the way Trevor plays the piano. As you observe him play, it just seems so effortless. And we look at that and we think, wow, what a gift. I would love to be able to play the piano that way. 
But he can only do that because there were hours, untold hours and years of training. And the same is true for righteousness. In the Bible, righteousness means right living. It's the goodness. It's a kind of a combination of the goodness and the justice of God. Isn't that beautiful? The justice of God and the goodness of God. That's right living. Now, obviously, Jesus is the only righteous one, and you and I will never be perfectly righteous. Our righteousness is through Christ, not ourselves. But we can, in fact, become more right in the way we live. We can learn to become more good and more just as we learn to submit to the the ways of God. It requires training and practice. And equipping for ministry, another thing that the Scriptures are good for is equipping us for the good works that God has for us to do. Whatever these good works are, they might be helping Lisa out with KidZone. They might be sharing your faith with your colleague at work. It may be um, having a relationship with a difficult neighbour. It may be advocating on behalf of the poor and the vulnerable. There's all kinds of things that God has in store for his people. And all of these good works ultimately are about reflecting the image of God. When God first made men and women, he made them in his image. And ultimately, our work is to reflect the beauty and the glory of God. So in training us in righteousness, what God is doing is making us more and more like himself, that we might reveal the glory of God to others increasingly so. Scripture not only informs us about who Christ is, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Scripture forms in us the character of Christ. And I want to share with you a wonderful illustration that author and uh, Bible teacher at McLean Bible Church or Bible pastor um, David Platt shares, and he invites us to think of the Christian life in concentric circles. And he talks about the fact that we need Scripture Firstly and primarily to form within us the character of Christ. As we submit ourselves to the scriptures and have that healthy, regular diet of feeding on God's word, God will grow and develop within us the character of Christ. And the more Christ-like we become, that impacts on our conscience, the way we think. The way we think becomes more Christ-like. So as the character of Christ is formed within us, then the conscience of Christ is formed within us. And our thoughts lead to our actions. So we have to change our thinking before we change our acting. So as our conscience changes, so too in time does our conduct. And ultimately, as you would know, the church is just a collection, a body of people. And so when the body of God's people start to have the character of Christ formed in them that impacts on the way they think, that impacts on the way they act, that in turn becomes the church. And so we have to go right back. When we come to the scriptures, as David highlighted, and I think what is so true, is that oftentimes we come to the scriptures looking for how do I need to think and how do I need to act? I just need to get that information and I need to find the practical tips on how to do this or how to do that. But we skip that essential part of actually allowing the Scriptures to form the character of Christ in us. 
This is why it is so important for us to feed regularly on all of God's word so that through the Holy Spirit, the character of Christ can be formed and over time, the conscience and the conduct of Christ will begin to become evident in our lives and the church will start looking more and more like Christ, which is the whole point. It's a wonderful illustration, isn't it? Now, you might be thinking, this is all good and well. I just don't have the time. I don't think many people would make that argument these days because all I would need to do is show you all the things that you do have time for. And it becomes very evident that it's not a question of time, it's a question of priority. And I'm not saying that we can't enjoy Netflix or Facebook or, or Messenger or Instagram or email. Um, but it, it's, uh, it's to highlight the fact that we do have time. We just need to make the time. And, and I love how a lot of um, now recognising that technology is really what's driving us forward. There are so many wonderful apps. There are so many wonderful tools that we can use on our devices to help us engage with the Word of God. And I want to invite you and encourage you to engage with the scriptures because unlike any other text, the scriptures are God-breathed and the scriptures can transform your lives. As we close out, I just want to share some really practical ways that we might approach reading God's word as we begin a new year. Um, you, many of you may already have the Version app on your phone. All of this stuff is free. Um, the Version app is great. It has uh, over a thousand different, ver- like, has a lot of different um, languages, a lot of different translations. It has a huge amount of different Bible reading plans. Um, You might want a 30-day plan on on this particular topic or subject. You might want to read the Bible in a year or in two years or in three years. A very powerful tool, and it's all free. And that's a great one to use. Another one is called Read Scripture. And Read Scripture is a really great tool um, because it has, again, some of you may be aware of what's called the Bible Project. It's a team of guys who have done a marvellous job of um, kind of doing bite-sized animated sketches of overall explanations of all of the books of the Bible and all of the big themes in the Bible. And what Read Scripture does, they've teamed up with the Bible Project and there's a wonderful Bible reading plan that kind of breaks the Bible into 12 different sections or themes and kind of helps you read it thematically. And at the very beginning of each book, um, there is a little clip to watch that explains the big picture of that book and in the context of the overall Bible. And as you journey through, whenever there are major doctrinal themes that come through a particular book or a section of Scripture, there will again be another little video clip that kind of unpacks that and explains that for you. I've used this tool and I like it as well because it, it kind of helps you, it prompts you, like as you start each day, it, there's a little, um, just a little circle that just says pause and stop. 
and it kind of just invites you to, to remember that you're about to read the Word of God. And just having that little prompt is really helpful. And then the reading for that day comes, and then you'll be prompted to pray at the end. So that's a really helpful little tool. The thing I like about Read Scripture as well is if you want to say, you might say, I'd like to read the Bible in a year, or I'd like to read the Bible in two years. You can start that whenever you like, and you can design it in such a way that I'd like to read the Bible in two years, five days a week. And you can just set it up so that it's kind of tailored to what you feel you're capable of doing. Um, This year, I've started reading the Bible in one year. I just like trying different things. I've got to change it up. If it's it's the same, it can become a little bit monotonous. The Bible in one year, this is a a wonderful tool by Nikki um, and Pippa Gumbel, the creators of Alpha. And what I'm really appreciating about this particular plan is it's, it's daily for 365 days. And again, it will just start on the day that you start. Don't feel like, oh man, I've got 27 days to catch up on. Like, you, you don't have to start on the 1st of January, right? It'll just start when you start. Um, the commentary is fabulous. So you do the readings, but for each reading, and there's a, a psalm or a proverb, a New Testament and an Old Testament, they, they kind of draw it all together and, and they, there's a little bit of a theme for each day. But what they've written is I'm finding really value-adding. Like it's really bringing the scriptures to life for me. The other thing that I appreciate is that um, not only can you read it, but you can listen to it, the Bible reading and the commentary. And I find that this is so helpful. My preference is to read it, like to sit down and read it. But if I'm too busy or if, you know, the day has gotten away, then I can listen to it. I can listen to it when I'm driving somewhere. Or, and I've, it's very doable. If you're washing up the dishes, there are, in fact, a number of mindless tasks that we do during the day where we can actually use those times as opportunities to listen to God's Word. Now... Not everyone is going to be up for a Bible reading plan or a Bible reading in a year. I just personally find those sorts of things really helpful because they keep me accountable and they they keep it consistent and regular, which I think is important. Finally, I want to just share with you an ancient Christian practice that many Christians have gotten so much value out of doing, and that is called Lectio Divina. And that means um, spiritual reading or holy reading. And this is a process where we really, really slow down. We're not reading for breadth in this instance. We're reading for depth. So what you do with this particular style of Bible reading is maybe if you're doing a... This is my approach. This will be my approach this year. I'm going to try and read... I'm going to read the Bible in a year. And as I go through, there'll be lots that I've been familiar with and I don't particularly feel is jumping out or anything, but I still want to be in that discipline of of just submitting myself and reading it. But there are going to be times as I come across a passage or a verse, I'm like, wow, God's really speaking to me in here. I need to spend more time in this particular scripture. And that's where Lectio Divina can be really helpful. We take a very small portion of scripture, maybe a verse, maybe five verses, 12 to 15 at the most, and we actually sit with that passage of scripture and we read it, and we read it multiple times. We read it aloud. We read it. We read different translations, and we listen. What is God saying? Is there a word? Is there, is there something here that God is speaking? We actually just slow it down. We then reflect. We then spend time in prayer, and then we seek to obey how God has spoken to us. It's a really um, beautiful way of engaging with the Scriptures 
And I've printed off 30 of these. It might not be enough. Um, but you could just Google, Google Lectio Divina. There's lots of different tools. But here's just in the foyer, there's 30 of these. So please feel free to take one. And it just outlines that kind of pattern and just gives you some examples to follow. I'm going to keep this in my Bible. And I, I now have a conviction that as I read through the Scripture, when I do come across something that I really feel God is speaking to me in this passage, I need to find the time to do the Lectio Divina and, uh, and allow God to do the work. Maybe if you use your electronic device primarily for feeding on the Word of God, put the Bible app right next to the app you most frequently use as a reminder, um, as a reminder, but also even just to check that, you know, I'm pressing this one a lot. Maybe I'll choose to press this one instead this time. Um, Men and women of God, boys and girls, read God's word, feed on God's word and live. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you this morning for just the opportunity to spend some time considering the value and the significance and importance of your word and how your design is that your people would feed regularly on your word, that as your word is breathed, into each of our lives, we might become more alive in you. We might, in fact, become more uh, Christ-like, that the character of Christ will be formed in us, and as that takes place, we will become transformed increasingly so into the people you made us to be, that we are the image-bearers of God, and that our lives will increasingly reflect the glory and the majesty of God, not for our sake, but for yours, that you, Lord, may be glorified, that your kingdom may be advanced. I pray for each person here this morning, Lord, that wherever they find themselves on their personal journey of walking with you and on feeding on your word, that this morning there might be a sense of encouragement and desire to engage more with your word. And that, Lord, we, we as your church, as we collectively do this together, we would grow and that our church would increasingly become more like Christ. Again, we pray this not for our sakes, but for yours, for the extension and the glory of your name and your kingdom. We pray that your will would be done in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.